to you, let me encourage you to open up to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 33. Lamentations, of course, in the Old Testament, after the book of Psalms, after Jeremiah comes Lamentations. Chapter 3. Listen to this very carefully. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the sons of men. That's our text. In the name of Jesus, amen. What do you do when there is nothing you can do? What do you do when there is nothing you can do? As we go through life at one time or another, in one way or another, we all face this question. And if you have not, you will. What do you do when there is nothing you can do? Martin and Grace Burnham faced this question in May of 2001. Perhaps you remember this. It was in the papers at that time. They were missionaries in the Philippines. Martin was a jungle pilot who who uh, delivered supplies to missionaries and also brought people out of the jungle to medical hospitals. Their nightmare began early one morning when they were kidnapped and taken captive by Islamic terrorists. Here's a paragraph from the book that describes all of that. The book is named In the Presence of My Enemies. And it tells how the Burnhams went, what they went through in the next year. Listen to this. This is a quote. Imagine the terror of being roused out of bed one morning at gunpoint of being kidnapped and held captive for more than a year, living on the run without warm clothes, enough food or adequate shelter, of being chained to a tree each night, sleeping on the ground despite painful body sores and debilitating intestinal viruses, of never knowing if you have food to eat or water to drink, if you'd be shot at yet again by your would-be rescuers, or if your captors would make good on their threat to behead you, as they had several of your fellow hostages. During a year-long ordeal as hostages on the run in the jungle, the missionary pilot and his wife struggled to live the faith they had come to the Philippines to proclaim. And most certainly they did live that faith, because as you read this book, you see evidence of it all through the book. And they continue to... Continues to live this faith today. Martin was shot and killed by friendly fire as Philippine soldiers were 
rescuing them. The question is this, what enabled them to live their faith in that year? And what enables, and what enables grace to continue living that faith today? They followed the word of our text. They followed the word of our text, of Jeremiah writes. And Jeremiah has an answer to this question. What do you do when there is nothing you can do? There's two things. Number one, you look for the good that still is. And number two, you look for the good that is going to be. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And I pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. The world that Jeremiah had known had now come to an end. And he stood in the midst of its ruin. The year was 586 B.C., and Babylonian armies had marched across Israel, determined to put to an end, once and for all, the Jewish problem. And so the land, the nation, lay in ruin, and there was death and destruction everywhere. His city, the city of Jerusalem, of course, was rubble, and everywhere there were burning timbers. The temple was in ruin now, simply a pile of jumbled rock. Freedom was now gone, and tens of thousands of people were being marched across the desert into slavery in Babylon. In Babylon. And all of this is told in the, in the book of Lamentations. And if you've not read the book of Lamentations or not read it recently, let me encourage you to do so. It is not a pretty picture. Listen to this. This is chapter 1, verse 11. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. That's starvation. Or chapter 4, verse 4. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Or chapter 4, verse 10. And you can't imagine this. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. Or chapter 2, verse 21. Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. Young men and maidens have fallen by the sword. And as so often happens, of course, in war, women are raped by enemy soldiers. And so this is chapter 5, verse 11. Women have been ravished in Zion, the virgins in the towns of Judah. Jeremiah's 50 years, his ministry of 50 years is now coming to an end. And as he look at, looks at everything all around, the ruin, the destruction, the terrible things, he says in verse 211, chapter 2, verse 11, My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. And so as you look at all of that and you look at our text, and the question that comes to mind is, how does one keep going? How does one keep going in the midst of tragedy and pain and chaos and hopelessness and futility, futility. What does a person do when there is nothing you can do? Jeremiah struggled. 
And he talks about how he wept, how he cried and cried. He talks about how his heart hurt. He talks about how his stomach ached. Right before our text, this is the verse. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. When he remembers all that has happened, all that has now been lost, all that has changed and never will be the same again, all the pain and the hurt that he sees all around, when he realizes what might have been, when he thinks about this and sees all of this, he almost is overwhelmed by it. He says his heart sinks, his spirit deflates, and he is depressed, and he is ready to quit and give up on life. But then he remembers something. Then he remembers something else. And what he remembers suddenly picks him up and gives him hope and enables him to go on. And then comes this remarkable verse. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And so the question is, in the midst of all of this, what did he remember that suddenly picked him up? What did he remember that suddenly gave him hope and enabled him to see ahead and go ahead? What did he remember? And that's the first verse of our text. This is what he remembered. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So in the midst of everything that has gone wrong, in the midst of everything that is going wrong, he still realizes he's alive. He's still alive. And he looks around. And he realizes that God is still present. Even so much, even though so much is gone, even so, even though so much has been ruined, God is still present. And as he looks around, and he has to look harder now, but he can still see God's presence and God's compassion and God's faithfulness. He has to look harder, but he can still see it. Every sip of water, every crust of bread, every stitch of clothing, every breath he breathes, every beat his heart beats is evidence that God has not deserted, that God is still present. And in the third sentence of our text, he then says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Even though I have nothing left except God himself, that is enough. Even though I have nothing left except God himself, that will be enough. And that will enable me to go on. And so he will wait on God. He will wait in trust. And he will wait for God to once again bless. Well, you see what Jeremiah is trying to teach us? What the Lord is trying to teach us here? When your world is caving in and there is nothing you can do, look for the good that still is. 
That's number one. When your world is caving in and there is nothing you can do, look for the good that still is. I think one of the proudest moments I had as a, had as a dad was the day that Esther and I walked into our daughter Angela's room at KU Med Center. She had been on, she had just completed her first day of dialysis. Her kidneys had now failed. We walked into her room and she was sitting on her bed with her knees up and a pad of paper against her knees and she was writing. And I said to her, Angela, what are you writing? And she said that she was making a list of the things she still had to be thankful for. What she was doing was exactly what Jeremiah says to do. She was looking for the good that still is. She had no idea what the future held. All she knew is that her life had been radically changed. That's true of all of us at one time or another. That's what I'm trying to say. But she was looking for the good that still is. That's not easy to do. That's not easy to do when the world is caved in around you and your heart is hurting and there are tears on your cheeks and there's some kind of suffering that is consuming you. That's not easy to do. Jeremiah talks about waiting for the Lord and waiting for Him, and this is significant. Listen to this. He says, in these kind of situations, when you wait for the Lord, you wait quietly. You wait quietly. Why does he say that? Because in these kind of situations, we are tempted to complain and grumble and wallow in self-pity. In these kind of situations, we are tempted to live in the past and keep talking to ourselves, if not others, about all that we have lost and how bad it is and how awful God has been and how terrible we have been abused. Jeremiah says, when this happens, wait quietly. In other words, draw the curtain on the past. Now certainly you rejoice in the goodness you've experienced in the past, but then you go on. You live in just today. You drop the curtain on the past and you live in just today and you look around at the good that you still have today. And Jeremiah goes on and he says, the Lord is good to those who hope in him, to one who seeks him. And what he's saying there is this, as you wait quietly, you still seek the Lord. You still seek the Lord. You still pray to him. And you still read his word. Even though you don't feel like praying, even though you don't feel like reading your Bible, you still do it. And you do it by telling him, Lord, I don't feel like praying. By telling him, Lord, I don't want to read your Bible. But you keep doing it. You keep doing it, even though you don't feel like doing it. While you're waiting and seeking and looking for the good, sometimes you just have to accept the suffering. 
and suffer through it. And that's what Jeremiah says to here. He says sometimes you just have to accept the suffering. And the only way out of the suffering is to suffer through it. And this is how he says it. Listen. Let him sit alone in silence. Let him bury his face in the dust. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace. In other words, sometimes there is no way out of suffering except suffering. You just have to cry and cry and cry until you can't cry anymore. You have to sit alone in silence. You know what that means? You have to sit alone in silence. You have to live with the loneliness of the situation. You just have to experience the loneliness and live with it as hard as it is. You may have to bury your face in the dust, but it is so bad that your face is in the dust and you just have to leave it there because there's nothing you can do. Or you have to offer the cheek or you have to bear the disgrace. There's nothing you can do but bear the disgrace. In other words, you just have to suffer your way through the suffering. Goodness. In a world in which there is sin and the consequences of sin, in a world where there is death and unfairness and injustice, you just have to live through it and wait for the Lord. And while you're awaiting, there's only one thing you can do, and that's pray for the strength and the endurance to last through it. As you wait for the Lord to come and somehow eventually rescue and deliver, all you can do is just pray for the strength and the help to endure. And that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he said this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And I like these words of Corey Ten Boom. You ought to write these down. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. Isn't that something? Write that down. You ought to write that down. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. In our text, though, Jeremiah not only talks about the good that still is and looking for that. He also says to look for the good that is going to be. And that's in these words. Listen to them. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. And when you read that and you think about that, that is a great word of assurance and that's a great word of comfort. Because what it says is this, no matter what appears to be, 
God does not abandon his people. God does not forsake us ever. Whatever comes and whatever happens, God will bring purpose and blessing out of it. Now think of that. Jeremiah says, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how down you may get, no matter how down you may feel, remember this, God never deserts his own. God never turns his back on his own. He always, always eventually brings blessing and purpose out of everything that is. And the best evidence, of course, of that is the cross itself. That's the best evidence of this great truth. That's Calvary. Because when you stop to think about Calvary, and when you stop to think about Good Friday afternoon, what a tragic, horrible scene that was. The most generous man who ever walked this earth, the most loving man who ever walked this earth, is now nailed to a cross, has gone through terrible, terrible suffering, terrible suffering at the hands of evil men. And those who were there, those women who stood at a distance, must have said, why? Why? Goodness, how could this be? That the most generous, loving man who ever walked this earth has been nailed to a cross and is going through this most horrible suffering and death. How could it be? Where is God? Where is God? And it looked as though it were without purpose. What blessing could possibly come out of this? And yet three days later that was all turned around. Three days later, those great words sounded, He is risen. And suddenly people began to realize, yes, God was there. And there is blessing and there is purpose. And you and I look back at that most tragic scene today and we say, my goodness, think of what God brought out of that. God brought out of that horrible scene of Calvary our forgiveness. He brought out of that terrible scene our righteousness. He brought out of that hellish scene our heaven. Think of that. That God brought out of that hellish scene called Calvary our heaven. Evidence that God brings purpose, you see, and blessing out of all. Romans 8.28, Paul was talking about. This is what Paul was talking about there. Listen to these. You've heard these words over and over, but they are so big. We know, Paul writes, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And always we need to remember these words from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That we look for the good that is going to be. We look for the good that still is, and we look for the good that is going to be. I must speak just once again about my daughter Angela, and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. 
that when the doctors finally told her she had two months to live, she called me on the phone and said, would you write a sermon about heaven and preach it and send me the tape? You heard me say that a couple of weeks ago. And I did that. And right before she died, she told me that she had listened to that sermon over and over again. Which was exactly what Jeremiah would say to do. First of all, she looked at the good that still was. But then she also looked at the good that was going to be. And that's what this part of this text is all about. In Romans 5.3, Paul was also saying the same thing. He says, we, all, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Maybe the good that's going to come out of what we're going through is simply our spiritual growth. Maybe it's simply our spiritual maturity. Maybe it's simply Christ-likeness. Always we remember whatever we're going through. That God's greatest concern for us now is not our happiness. Listen to that carefully. Because I hear that so often today. I want my children to be happy and so on and so forth. No, God's greatest concern for us now is not our happiness. Now, God's greatest concern for us is heaven later. And this is why Paul could write in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul says, you know what's up ahead? What's up ahead is what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the mind of man imagined. What's up ahead is heaven. We look for the good that is going to be. And so, what do you do when there is nothing you can do? In the tragic, painful, hurting times of life, when the roof is caving in, and what's ahead seems to be simply darkness, you look for the good that still is, and you look for the good that's going to be. And we remember that we live, and listen carefully, listen, we live not by understanding, we live by faith. Let me say that again, because it is so important. We live not by understanding. We live by faith. Amen.